Hello and welcome to Weeb Spawn. We're talking about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and today I am Solo once again. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about Monster Sanctuary. So, as always, spoilers ahead. So, one quick thing I do want to address. Sorry about not posting last week. And instead of um, one week late, I was hoping our co-host would be able to record, but it looks like it's going to be next week, fingers crossed. So anyways, on to Monster Sanctuary. Monster Sanctuary started as a free time project by veteran game developer Dennis Sinner in 2015 and launched into full development in 2018. It entered Steam Early Access in August 2019. It's full release on PC, PS4, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Game Pass was in December of 2020. Since release, the game has received multiple free updates adding new features, content, and balance changes. In June of 2022, Morai Games, that is the publisher of this, released a highly anticipated free DLC for Monster Sanctuary called The Forgotten World. Amongst 10 new monsters in the biggest area in the game to explore, the DLC added tons of new skills, items, and game challenges, as well as new op optional game modes for Nuzlocke-type experience. And I'll get into those a little later. So for those of you who are unaware, Monster Sanctuary is a monster-taming RPG with party-based combat and Metroidvania-like exploration. New monsters provide additional strategic options in combat and allow you to overcome obstacles to explore new areas and find hidden treasures. The turn-based combat focuses on team synergy and combos and a deep skill system, distinguishing Monster Sanctuary from other popular monster-collecting games, like Pokemon. As the youngest heir of an ancient bloodline of proud monster keepers, you step into you step out into the world to follow your ancestral footsteps. You will gather a party of monsters to grow and train. Meanwhile, a series of unsettling events worries the experienced keepers of the monster sanctuary. This is the beginning of a journey to unravel the cause of a mystery that threatens the peace between humans and monsters. So, uh, to sum it all up, if you're looking for a Pokemon game that's not Pokemon, this is a very good game to dive into. I believe on record, as of recording this, I have over 100 plus hours on that, and that was mostly just completing the story. I think by the time I finish like the actual story, I had probably like 80 plus hours into it. The rest was, if you guys know Pokemon, uh, there's a thing called a living dex. Well, instead of a Pokedex, you have a monster journal in this game. And I went and made a living monster journal because there is a space in the game called like, I think it's like the monster ranch or monster farm, I think it's the ranch. And essentially you can just place your monsters there so you don't clutter up like all your like space. And I put them in order from start to finish. And there is, once you get to a certain point in the story, there's things called light shifted and dark shifted. 
And yes, I got a light shifted and dark shifted and the normal of every monster in that monster journal. Took me a while to get a few of them, not gonna lie. But it was fun nevertheless. So yes, this game is very Pokemon-esque, but has a really good... It has a pretty good storyline. If, like... As long as you don't skip through like all the dialogue, it's actually pretty interesting because it gives a lot about the lore of quote unquote the old world. So essentially you're in the monster sanctuary as we I just said about being the bloodline of proud monster keepers. You can choose between four spectral, uh, what is it? Spectral monsters? I don't I don't know if they had a special name or they were just, but you could choose between a oh, spectral familiars. That's it. You can choose between a spectral wolf, spectral toad, spectral eagle, or a spectral lion. And depending on which one you get, the others, there'll be other spectral keepers as well as you named Will. Leonard and Julia normally you're supposed to take the wolf at least uh, I mean that's kind of how it seems portrayed because in the game coding I should say Will automatically gets the toad Leonard gets the lion and Julia gets the eagle so if you pick any of those, like if you choose the toad, then Will would obviously get the wolf. If you choose a lion, Leonard would get the wolf. If you choose eagle, Julia would get the wolf. So that's how it is normally carried out. So you start out in some, what is the world place called? I believe it is called Mountain's Path. It, there is a lot of areas in here. So you start out in Mount mountain pass and you find your first monster a blob which is very similar to a slime but of course they named it something different and when you defeat the monsters you have like a turn-based combat you have a chance of them dropping an egg and you use that egg to hatch your own blob and that's how you get your new monsters so instead of catching them like Pokemon with Pokeballs and stuff, you actually have to defeat them in combat and have a chance for it to drop an egg. Sometimes it doesn't always drop an egg. Sometimes it'll be like other items like a health potion or even there are some that need evolution items to evolve because most of the time it's just monsters. They don't really evolve, only a select few do and that's not unlocked until like later on. But once you are set in the first battle and you get through and you reach the Keeper's Stronghold, which is where the Monster Keeper's base of operations are, essentially. And this is where you start to learn a little bit more about the lore of how, like, the old world outside of this place is, like, a wasteland, essentially. And the ancestral spectral keepers who you're part of the bloodline, created this mystical place with the help of the spectral familiars to keep everyone safe and to keep, like, 
whatever is threatening the old world from coming here. And that's why we go out and get stronger with our monsters, essentially, because just to prepare, I guess? Uh, I'm not exactly 100% sure, but, you know, hey, it's the game. It is what it is. So the main antagonists of this series are the alchemists. And the alchemists uh, pretty much are just wanting to practice their alchemy because alchemy got banned. And they pretty much... Okay, yeah, it was around 200 AC. Alchemy was outlawed in the old world, and its practitioners began to be persecuted in some places. Because of this, they fled to the monster sanctuary. They tried to convince the monster keepers to wage war on the old world, but the first keeper master rejected their offer. He said the sanctuary holds everything they could ever need. Marduk, the leader of the alchemists, gathered some of the keepers who agreed with his way of thinking and formed the new order of alchemists. So, essentially, the alchemists you guys face are old keepers that he persuaded into joining him. Because, like I said, the old world is some kind of, like, wasteland, abandoned area, I guess. And the monster sanctuary is protected by some magic that the first keeper and all his spectral familiars kept with them. So you'll run into various different characters with the Spectral Keepers that I mentioned, Will, Leonard, and Julia. You'll also meet the Elkinimis. I'm going to butcher their names because I don't even know if I'm pronouncing them right. But the Green Elkinimis, Ostanames. The Yellow Elkinimis, Valiar. Purple Elkinimis, Chimes. The Light Blue or Blue Elkinimis, Zosmus. The orange alchemist Rise and the brown alchemist Travison, and then the mysterious leader Marduk. So each one you'll just face throughout the progressively getting stronger in the storyline. Eventually, there was, I think it's Rise, or is it, yeah, Rise faces off against Will, and it's learned that he can actually take control of his Spectral Familiar. So one thing that this game mentions is that the Spectral Familiars, the Wolf, the Toad, the Lion, the Eagle, can only be used by people of their bloodline. So if you're not of their bloodline, you can't use them. So when this happens, it becomes like a major thing because it's like, oh my god, they can actually take it. Because they want to use, essentially use the four familiars because they were the ones who brought this monster sanctuary to how it is to undo the magic that's keeping it safe. So they're forced to go into the old world and to essentially rage war like they wanted to. That's the ultimate goal. Of course, we put a stop to it. As I mentioned earlier, spoilers ahead, we do win. Well, hopefully you win. <laughs> it, it does get pretty difficult at certain points. Uh, I definitely struggled when I got to, towards the end, there was a, what was it, Chimes, I think? 
I'm trying to look at the alchemist. The alchemist uh, party. But when you go to the last area, the abandoned tower, you have to. F Do you fight all the alchemists again? I think it's. I'm not sure if it, it's not all of them. I think it's like two or three of them. And then Marduk. And Chimes, the second one you meet, gave me a run for my running. It took me so long to get it because. <coughs> excuse me. The combat in this game really depends on combos. And if you can get a combo, a good combo starting, you can get your monster to be near invincible. So, yeah, that. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But essentially, you go go through all the different areas in this game and you get to the abandoned tower. You face Mardok, who ends up being Eric, who was a veteran monster keeper. And it's found out that actually Marduk killed Eric like 22 years ago in the magma chamber threw his body in the lava so no, it could not be discovered, and took on his appearance. And he's been doing that the past 200 years. So Marduk is the same person as we learned back 200 years ago. And he's been, like, snatching monster keepers' bodies over for the past 200 years, and that's how he was able to keep tabs on us. And then eventually we do beat him, and the Mad Lord, the final boss, comes out, and you have one final battle. And then, essentially, once you beat that, you pretty much beat the game. All that's left is, if you're a completionist, to explore every, every spot in the map and to get all the monsters in your monster journal. You don't have to make a living dex, like I did, obviously, but... I wanted to because I wanted to be a completionist for this game. So that's pretty much the story. Uh, there's a lot of lore built into that. So if you guys are interested in the lore, I would most certainly would do a lore video. But I want to go over more of the aspects of the game. So I just wanted to give you guys a quick overview of the story. So like I said, it's mostly ancient alchemist vendetta against the monster sanctuary because they didn't do what they wanted to and so this plot has been going on i guess for 200 years and it finally comes to fruition when they are able to steal the spectral familiars unlock the forgot or abandoned tower all the this mystical place and free the mad lord i don't know if the freeing the mad lord was part of their plan or if that just happened but they wanted to rule over Monster Sanctuary, but we beat each alchemist, sent them to jail, and we won. Because we are the heroes. But more importantly, why I love this game so much. So if you're a fan of Pokemon, you know the struggles of finding like a Pokemon-like game that's not Pokemon. I think another popular one is Temtem that seems to do really well. But that game's also, I think, like $45, $50. This is only 20 bucks as far as when I bought it. It was only 20 bucks. I don't know if it raised the price. And there is just so much to explore. Because the one thing about this is kind of like the original Pokemon games, 
how you needed HMs to get through, go to like the next gym. Kind of the game kind of tailored you towards one way. That's kind of how Monster Sanctuary goes. There are certain aspects of the game when you get certain monsters that they have abilities that can affect the overworld, let's just call it, instead of in battle. And one of those could be like there's a huge boulder in the way. So you have to get an ability that can move the huge boulder, essentially like strength. Or there's one where you can see invisible blocks in order to get through to like this secret area. There is one, I think, oh, cut diamond blocks. And then there's various ones where you'll see this kind of like crystal ball. And it'll have like a flame, it'll have a snowflake, it'll have a lightning bolt, and you need certain characters that can shoot fire or shoot ice or call down lightning, respectively, and it can unlock certain areas on the map. There's also some puzzles that you have to do, which are really fun. So it's not just about like monster taming, it also has like party or parties puzzles and exploration and dungeon almost like dungeon diving and obviously like i said you could fight people and you might not get the monster egg right away so you might have to fight them a few times to try to get the monster egg and it's not always like the same monster it's usually 3v3 battles is the battle type Obviously, when you first start out, you only have one. It'll be a one-on-one, -on -one, your spectral familiar versus a blob. But that one, I believe, guarantees you uh, a blob egg. So then it's it could be 2v2, 2v3. If you don't have three monsters, but almost entirely, you'll see three monsters nearby each other. So if you run into one of them, you have to fight all three of them. And going to fight all three of them, you have whole skill tree of every monster it's insane each monster has their own like three skill trees and then an ultimate attack obviously you won't get the ultimate attack until later because you need to level them up but it's fun it's so much fun trying to look at all the different skill sets that they have and I don't even know if what's a good what like if I can look at let's see what it or let's go to can I find the blob slime blob so for instance the blob has one two three four skill trees and you can level into uh, multiple of them you have to be you have to get them to level 40 in order to get their ultimate but just so you guys can get a little familiar with like a skill tree. So for this one, for Blob, your very first creature you get, since I don't know what spectral familiar you'll get, we'll go with Blob. You can have Acid Rain as a skill, which is a water-based skill. Oh, yeah, there's elements. I almost forgot, just like Pokemon has typing, there are different elements as well there's like wind water neutral earth fire and i think that's it 
and then obviously healing and stuff like that. So typically, I mean, you can build your monsters however you please. There are infinite possibilities, but obviously there's going to be a quote-unquote meta in any of these games because there is PvP in this. I don't suggest doing it until you've either beat the game or you think you've gotten a handle on it because I tried it early on and I just got creamed because I didn't know really anything about combos until I actually watched like a video and I was like, oh, that's how it, oh, okay. And so going back, there's four skill trees. There's one that is a skill tree for the acid rain. So you can start out at level one and you can max it out at level five. For instance, I'll show you level one takes 40 mana attacks three times and does 55% damage each time. So stack that up to uh, 55 times three, you get 165. Applies armor break debuff. At level five, it costs 200 mana. It does six times 70% for a total of 420% damage and applies armor break as well. The next skill tree mainly focuses on Arcane Bolt, which is a magic neutral type damage that does 30 mana for by 40% 160% damage and at level 5 if you max it out it's 180 mana at 8 by 55% for a total of 440% damage then you have bubble burst which is another magical water damage that does 4 by 40% 160% damage all the way up to 210 mana at 7 by 65% for a total of 455% damage. It does a little more than Acid Rain, but it doesn't apply the Armor Break debuff. There's also lastly, or no, not lastly, because there's one more after this. There's Slime Shot, which is an Earth magical attack that does 4 by 35% for 140% damage, but applies the Poison debuff. And that maxes out at 210 mana at 7 by 60% for another 420% damage and implies the poison debuff as well. Now, those are just the basic attacks. Uh, the ultimates are Acid Hurricane, who does 3 by 95% damage for 285 max damage. Damage to all enemies, so it's a spread attack, and a 75% chance to apply armor break. Then you have Replenish, which heals all allies for 2 by 350 plus 50% of your magical abilities and shields all allies by 2 times 350 plus 50% of your magic damage for 240 of mana. Or there's Slimageddon, who does 9 by 60% for a total of 540 damage earth damage and applies poison and weakness but i believe slimageddon only does i believe a single target but there's not that's not the only thing you can level up in this skill tree there are certain passives you can give the monster to depending on their skill tree or you can just straight up boost their stats there are some that you can boost their magical stats you can boost their defense stat, their health stat, everything like that. There's also what's called auras. And for, does the slime get any 
does he get the supply? Yes, there's a supply aura. Heal all monsters in the party by 4% of the monster's max health at the start of every turn. So, you three monsters will go and attack, your opponent's three monsters will go and attack, and then at the start of your next turn, boom, 4% health if you get this unlocked. There's also Corrosion, which is a unique aura. So auras, regular auras, can be stacked. So the Supply Aura, if you have another monster with Supply Aura, it'll do 4% from one and 4% from the other. However, Corrosion, which is a unique aura, cannot be stacked. So if you have another person with Corrosion, they do not stack. And this one, Armor Break, increases the Poison, Burn, Shock, and congeal damage enemies take by 20%. I'll get into more in those in just a little bit. They also have a unique, another unique aura. Whenever an enemy takes poison damage, 40% chance for that poison to spread to another enemy, which is amazing. I love that. I made a build that was specifically for poison and it just stacks up poison and it it is so much fun to just watch your enemies die to poison. So, a lot of these are also... Oh, and there's additional effects. There's a skill called Magic Proc. Every attack triggers an additional hit equal to 30% of your magical value. So, any magical attack you hit, it will also trigger another hit. So, where I said those 3 by 55%, the reason why it's like that instead of just saying oh it does 165 percent damage you have to build up combos the more combo you hit meaning the more hits you hit make so this magic proc i deal three damage plus this magic proc additional one so now i've done four damage now when it's my next next monster's turn its attack is going to deal more damage the more combo you get so you're trying to get all the extra procs all the extra hits you can but that also includes if you have do i do i have congeal on this on blob i don't think i do but so the or for instance the procking the 40 percent chance to proc poison so let's say i did a slime hit level five who what was it it did, how much damage does that do? Seven times, seven by 60% and applies poison. And then that poison affected someone else and applied another poison to them, which applied the poison back to the first person, which applied poison back to the second one, which applied the poison to another one. And it just kept going for who knows how long you get lucky for. And so you end up that seven damage account ends up being like 10 or 12 and now your next person's ability is going to do extra damage because of how high the combo is that's why you use typically you have like a support utility monster and then another like debuff uh, or buffing monster or something and then a main damage dealer because you set these two up to proc your chains up to try to get to like 30 40 something like that so then when the last monster goes it can just wipe them out because it will do so much damage i'm not 100 sure i forget exactly like 
how high you need to get procs up, but I remember I think I got like a 35 hit bonus and it did an extra like 300% damage. So it's a lot, especially in PvP when you're trying to combo everything up, you want to. And speaking of, the, the blob again has some special effects. Now these are all skill points you can get. I think you get a total of, what is it, like 20 skill points? I forget what the max. So obviously you can't get everything. So you have to kind of decide, is this going to be a support build? Is this going to be a damage dealer? You have to kind of figure out what you want because if you're going to go support, you're going to want to go uh, Blob knows the heal skill as well. But there's also special passives that he can get like heal mastery. Healing skills, active and passive, are increased by 20%. So if you get that along with the aura of supply, heal all monsters by 4%. You get an additional 20% of that 4% added on to you. So you can really heal. I end up using my blob as a very support, su healing and poisoning type support. I didn't use him for attack like hardly at all. Because there's also an ability he can get called Hexing Support. Whenever this monster spends a turn without attacking an enemy, apply a random debuff on the enemy. So because I'm healing them instead of attacking now the enemy gets a debuff so it's a win-win you heal your you heal your allies and you debuff the enemies it's perfect healing shield active and passive also applies a shield of 20 percent of the healed amount so now not only are you healing you're also giving them shields so they can have shields equal to i believe it's equal to their health so essentially like two health bars and so now when they attack, they have to go through the shield first and then your actual health. So now with this, you have healing and shielding. So you're essentially healing them twice as much. Toxic support. Every heal applied by this monster has a 10% chance to apply poison to a random enemy. This monster can apply an additional stack of poison. So you have to kind of get these... If you're trying to do a poison build, you kind of have to get people that have this trait or passive and get it because you can only stack one poison on them unless like you get a skill that says otherwise. So you can essentially get like four or five stacks of poison. So then every turn they deal poison, poison, poison five times. So it's one thing that's really good. But it also has purify. Healing actions also remove four Hunksville stacks such as Bleed, Wound, Blind, Tether. Multi-target heals only remove two. And I'll get into debuffs, like I said, in just a moment. But this is just one monster that we're talking about. You can go for damage if you truly want to, because it does have magic proc, health proc. Every attack triggers an additional hit equal to 5% of your max health. Combo Initiator, this monster attacks first, in the turn, it deals 25% more damage. With his attack, it deals an additional 25% damage hit. So you can make this person attack because you can use Armor Break or the Bubble Burst, Acid Rain or Bubble Burst, and get those proc chains going because it has Magic Proc, Health Proc. So you can attack once and still get like 10 to 12 hits. I personally, I like to use Blob as more of a healing support, but go with however you want 
Now, I kept mentioning some of these debuffs. Armor Break, Tether, Bloon, Wound, Poison, Kajil. What are all of these? Well, Poison is a monster loses 10% of its maximum health at the start of every turn. And then after this, it goes away. So you have to... I, oh, no. I think Poison stays. I think Poison stays unless you get... Like, you heal it off. So... I, Every turn, it loses 10% of maximum health. So this is where it comes in where you can stack multiple times. So you can get three to five stacks. That's every turn, it's losing 10%, 10% over 5%. So it's not 50%. It doesn't go like 10, add 10. So it's like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. It's 10%, 10%, 10%, 10% times five times. So it doesn't stack that way. So it's not like, oh, you got... 50, it's going to lose 50% of its health. No, it's going to lose 10% and then lose 10% of that maximum health that it has and 10% and so on and so forth. Then you have Armor Break. Reduces defense and other sources of damage reduction by 25%. Pretty self-explanatory from the name Armor Break. So it's good if you want like if, like a support if you just want to trigger a debuff because you have a skill that's like every time you apply armor break you have a chance to apply shock every time this happens this happens so on and so forth you have to really i can't really get into all the skills because there are just so many it would be hard to show you every instance of it that's why i'm trying to go in depth with this one creature that you will for sure run into then you have weakness another debuff and with the weakness debuff the monster deals 20% less damage so in terms of if you're a Pokemon fan think of armor break like tail whip and a weakness like growl it lowers your monsters uh, damage by 20% and yes you can stack weakness as well then we have burn Monsters receive damage based on own attack or magic value, whichever is higher at the start of each turn. So kind of like Pokemon, where it, I think Pokemon just has, it does a set value actually on your, like HP is like one seventh, or am I thinking of poison? But anyways, instead of hampering your attack, like in Pokemon, this just deals flat out damage. And it deals it based on your tech or magic value, whatever is higher. So burn is good if you're facing someone you know who has very high attack or magic damage. And you know you can get the most out of this. Burn may not be good against like tanks who have low attack and high HP. You'd want to poison them because that does max health and burn the attacking people. Next, we have shock. Shock when attacking a shocked monster deal an additional 50% damage per hit. So essentially, if they have the shock debuff, if you attack with an attack of like four times whatever, 55%, 50% of each of those four attacks will deal an additional hit. So shock can be pretty good. I think... If I'm not mistaken, I think this is probably the least common debuff. I think most people use burn, poison, and bleed. Not really shock. But that doesn't stop you from using it. Because there are some good 
shock people, especially uh, uh, shock is considered wind. If you're going against someone who's weak against wind, it's always also very good to go. Then uh, you have congeal. Uh, this is more of a passive, but it's good to know. The chill debuff uh, deals damage to enemy at the start of their turn because normal chill monsters lose 10% mana when applied and mana regeneration is reduced by 20%. So if, if you're going against someone, a mage who's very dependent on mana, it's good to get chill. Chill is another debuff that I think is pretty common as well. And with this, you can essentially stop them from using spells or their abilities, essentially. And if you have congeal, you can actually make chill do damage now instead of just reducing their mana. Next, we have bleed. Deals damage at the start of the turn based on the implying attack. Then half of the bleeding stacks are removed rounded up. So essentially what it's saying is whatever, if you did 200 damage and cast a bleed and got two stacks of bleed, uh, the, they will take another 200 damage and then half of the stacks will be removed. So if you only had two stacks, only one will go away and then next turn they'll be free. If you had like four stacks, then it goes down to two then one, and then gone. But there are certain people that can actually keep the the bleed stacks going. I'm trying to figure out what is, or a pet, splatter. No, splatters when an enemy is knocked out, spread half of their bleed stacks to the remaining enemies. But anyways, there is a passive that you can keep the bleed stacks going so they never go away. So you can essentially get like 20 bleed stacks on them and then like every turn they just take massive damage. It's honestly really fun to do. The only problem is the build loses like all viability. If, if that monster were to die and all the, your bleed stacks go away, then it kind of sucks because you rely on the continuous damage of the built up where once they have like 20, 25 bleed stacks, they just lose like half their health and no amount of healing can help that. Bleed could be pretty strong. Next, we have wound. Reduces all healing this monster received by 40%, removed at the end of the turn after healing was received. So if you know they have like a blob on their team and it has high healing capabilities, you may want to wound some of their other monsters. So that way they don't get as much healing. But once you once they do receive healing, obviously it's reduced by 40%, but it is removed at the end of the turn. So it's not the greatest to stack up, but I mean, it doesn't hurt. Then we have blind attacks. Attack hits have a 35% chance to miss. Every missed hit removes a stack of blind. So this one can be annoying as hell because it essentially makes you, it's like getting smoke screen. You have accuracy loss. And if you don't have purified to like remove these harmful stacks, it will stay with you until you actually miss. So you could have four stacks of blind and 
have a four times attack and miss every single one or hit every single one you're like oh yes but then next turn you still have that blind they don't just go away at the end of the turn they go away once you miss and if your opponent has blinded you it's more likely they can keep blinding you so it's not the greatest to have obviously if you have it it's amazing because then your enemies can't attack you but if you're on the receiving end it sucks again you could pair this up with a lot of other people who can stack blinds there are multiple people who can stack blinds and you could just make it so your enemy team can never hit you because i mean if they can't hit you and you hit them you're eventually gonna win <laughs> then we have tether Decreases chance to dodge by 10% and damage dealt by 5%. Every action removes one stack of tether. So essentially, it just keeps you in place, kind of like sticky web on Pokemon that reduces your evasion. Um, it makes it so you're easier to hit and you also uh, get... Is it... And damage dealt by 5%. Does that mean... I'm confused if you lose 5% or if you get hurt by 5%. I don't know too much of Tether. But pair Tether and Blind together. And they're not hitting you and you're hitting almost every chance you get. So take that with what you will. There are so many ways to go about this game. And this is just one. So, water beats fire. Fire, what is it? I think fire beats earth, earth beats wind, and wind beats water, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, age, I forgot age, okay. Burn, chill, shock, poison, armor break, weakness. I've already, those are all the debuffs. Uh, there are also buffs as well. I'll go over those in just a second. So a couple of the harmful stacks like bleed, blind, tether, wound. Uh, there are also eight, there's a thing called age. You get plus 3% damage, plus 3% damage reduction, and plus 3% mana regeneration. At the end of the turn, this monster gains an age stack, that uh, the skill aging. So there are a few monsters. It's not widely uh, used by a lot of monsters, but there are some. And so essentially with this, you want to keep that monster alive because the longer it's alive, the stronger it gets, hence age stack. This is one of the beneficial stacks instead of the harmful ones. Next, you can get charge, increased damage of the next attack by 3%. I believe most of these you need, there are some combos you can get to get charge stacks. Uh, most of the time, you there's a skill called charge start. This monster starts combat with seven charge stacks. So you got seven layers of 3% of the next attack. So that's something that's good. Like I mentioned before, if you have two other characters that really buffed up your combo, like got to like 20 or 30, and then you have charge stacked, 
So your next damage is increased even more with the combo. You're going to do some heavy, heavy damage. Then we have Predation, which increases critical chance of the next attack by 20% and reduces enemy dodge chains by 10%. Now, these, I believe, are only found in Monsters in the Forgotten World, part of the DLC that was added that's pretty much endgame monsters. So you don't really have to worry about this too much. I don't... I think maybe the Elder Gel, you might fight that has this i'm not 100 sure but i'm pretty sure it's mostly just a forgotten world one and then there's infinity increases damage dealt by 25 percent applied every turn in the infinity arena it's essentially uh this happens in keeper battles pvp online as well as pve during story battles it essentially is if you get to a point Say you're out healing the opponent's damage, they can't kill you, but you can't kill the enemy because they're basically out healing you. The game gets to a certain point where it's like, okay, you guys are all going to get infinity stacks, which increases damage by 25%. So eventually you will not be able to out heal because it will stack. I've gotten to where it stacks like up to like four or five. So that is a lot of damage. So that's one good thing is... You can have a long battle, but eventually the game's like, okay, no more. There's not going to be a draw. One of you guys are going to die. So now, moving on from debuffs and the harmful stacks or beneficial stacks, we have the regular buffs. Might. Physical skills deal 20% more damage, because there are physical and magical damage. Just like Pokemon has physical and special, it's just reduced to physical and magical damage. Might increases physical skills by 20%. And the counter to that is sorcery. You deal 20% more magical damage. Then we have barrier. Receive 20% less damage. So just increases your defense. Channel. Activate skills require 20% less mana. So that's always a nice little buff to have, especially if you have a lot of spellcasters. Glory. Increase critical chance by 10% and critical damage by 20%. Again, if you're going for like a bleed build, you'll probably have someone with glory because a lot of the bleed builds usually set bleed when you have critical strikes. So anything that can increase your critical chance and critical damage is always nice to have. Regeneration regenerates 7.5% maximum health at the start of every turn. And yes, these are all stackable. You just need the right support monsters. We have Sidekick. Each attack triggers an additional 40% damage a hit. So again, this is something to really combo up on your attacks. If you already have something that deals like 6 damage, each attack will trigger an additional 40% damage. Sidekick is nice to have. And if you have multiple Sidekicks, you get multiple additional triggers. Agility. 20% chance to dodge physical hits. Pair this having agility and then blinding the enemy and you're not going to get hit very often then we have spell shield which is the counterpart to agility because agility is magical hits spell shield is to dodge or agility was physical hits and spell shield is to dodge magical hits so as you can see there are so many buffs debuffs stacks and that's not even half of it because once you 
get to a certain point in their story, there's something called an elemental shift, or not elemental shift. Uh, I think they're just called shifted because they're called light shifted and dark shifted monsters. And basically when you shift them, they can change their passive abilities. So each monster will have like their own passive ability to, I think to start with. And then when you shift them from light to dark, they can have different, different ones. I think, yes, ah, this is why. It's a dark passive unique aura. There's a dark passive unique aura called bleed out. Bleed stacks and enemies are not removed when they take bleed damage. That's what I was trying to find. So if you have someone with the bleed out unique aurora, then this is where that plea build comes in and they cannot get it. But there's also many different ones like Curse Chain. Whenever this monster applies a debuff to an enemy, 35% chance to spread that debuff to another enemy. So if you get this and you like with a blob that applies armor break over multiple people, not only will they get armor break, you, there's a 35% chance that that buff will spread to another buff so you can easily stack them or the hexing support if you have curse chain and ability to hex support you can heal someone give them a debuff and there's a 35 percent chance that that debuff will spread to another one and then if it does spread there's a 35 percent chance for that to spread to the other one so you can heal one person and end up debuffing their entire team there's just so much customization you can do with this and that's just there's light passives, dark passives, your regular passives, and skill trees. I talked this much, and this is just about one character. This is just for the blob. And just for reference, a blob does get Curse Chain for its dark shifted version. And if you get light shifted, all healing you get healing charge. All healing skills give the healed monsters a charge stack for each heal. So if you're going for a charge build, like you have... Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you have the person that has the charge start. You can just heal because even if you don't need to heal, if you have the blob that gives shields as well as heals, you heal them with hexing support. So you heal your teammates, give them shields, give them now a stack of charge for every heal. And some of your heals can apply five times per person so that's five charge stacks and then now with hexing support you just gave them the enemy team a debuff so not only did you heal your monsters it gave them shield gave them a charge stack so now they're even more powerful at the end you boost your combo and you debuffed your enemy all in one turn but you got to be prepared because the enemy can do just that and it's also cool that the Light shifted and dark shifted will change their colors. So it's kind of like the shiny version of Pokemon, but a lot more common. So for instance, Blob is normally green. That's why it's like a slime. Light shifted becomes yellow, but dark shifted, he becomes like this blue aqua color. It's really cool. I love, <clears throat> I love changing them and seeing the different colors. And then, like I mentioned, there are a few monsters that can evolve and if you don't want spoilers ahead for what monsters can i'll give you a little second to say spoilers ahead but a 
Grilulu, um, can, oh no, it's gum, Grummy evolves into a Grulu, which I know you guys don't know what any of this is unless you played, and there's Magma Pillar goes into Magma Moth, uh, Minotaur becomes Megatar, Niniki becomes Niniki Nanaka, the Crackle Knight becomes a Sizzle Knight, the Vario becomes a Silverio, Glowfly into Glodra, Draco Evolve have multiple evolutions. It can become a Draco Gran, which is the fire one, a Draco Zul, which is ice, I believe, or if, it, or if it's wind, I think it's ice. Dragonor, which I think is the wind one, and then Draco Mir, which I forget which one he is. Rocky becomes Mega Rock. Uh, any of the blobs, there are multiple blobs, can become a King Blob. Mad-Eye becomes Bad Lord, and Monk becomes Ascendant, and finally we have Fungi becomes Famungus. And yeah, those are the ones that can evolve. Everyone else pretty much stays the same. And the last thing I think I should mention is there are things called champion monsters, which are essentially just boss monsters that you will find throughout the world. And they're essentially, most of them are the evolution forms that you can find or you can get the evolution material from them. Some of them are just rare and that like you can get stronger monsters earlier than you normally get them and be aware that just because it's only well sometimes it's only them they may have minions with them i know for instance what was it i think the steam golem is the first champion monsters you'll ever meet and that one's just by itself the ascendant which is the monk like evolution will have the ascendant and two monks with them and once you beat them you'll get like a star rating and you can always re-challenge these guys later to get five stars because once you get five stars i think that's when you get the egg and like all their like special drops that you can get because there are plenty of items in this game as well that are like held items kind of like pokemon except these are more like equipment like for an rpg so you can boost your defense, you can boost your attack, you can boost multiple stats. There's just so much customization to go so in depth in this. It is insane. It will keep you, like I said, just doing the storyline took me like 80 plus hours. Obviously I wasn't rushing through it either. So if you like, if you're just trying to like get through to the end game, you could easily like take that but like i took my time i tried not to use any of the wiki i wanted it to do like a fresh start blind playthrough and do everything that way and it was just so much fun because the game kind of tailors you onto where you had to go there was a few times i got lost but for the most part it won't let you advance until i won't say you're ready but it will like like if you unlock a new area and you accidentally find like a 
different area and you're like confused like oh which way should i go well you could try both of them but at some point you'll run into a dead end because it's like oh i had to get a certain monster ability to get through to this area like i mentioned before like cutting diamond blocks or lifting a heavy boulder but you're like i captured all the monsters here but i can't get through oh wait i could go this way to a whole new area and then kept find that monster you're like oh my god now after beating this i now have that monster that allows me to get access to this area so it kind of helps you go through all of that and then I think to wrap this up, because there's there's just so much. You this game is one that you really do have to kind of experience it yourself. If you're someone who absolutely loves like theater crafting, like team building and everything, this game is going to be a game for you. Or like I said, if you're looking for a Pokemon, a non-Pokemon Pokemon game, definitely check this out. And like I said, it's cheaper than most of the other like Pokemon lookalikes or whatever monster collector games but one last thing with that dlc that i mentioned way back at the beginning that they actually have a pretty much a randomizer mode a bravery mode and a permadeath mode which is essentially like a built-in nuzlocke the randomizer i it's pretty self-explanatory instead of seeing blobs at the beginning you could see ashura which is uh this like forearm monk type monster that is more towards end game you can end up catching it in the very beginning and who knows what you'll find at the very beginning you could find some of the forgotten world monsters at the very beginning bravery mode is one that is basically you will never get a monster egg but each area you'll get you'll have to find a chest that gives you a monster egg so the first area you get one egg and the next area you get another egg so you can't just get multiple monsters it will really test your team building skills because you'll be limited with what monsters you get because you are essentially only getting one monster per area there's like though just to let you know there's like what i think like 15 areas all together to explore so you'll have plenty of monsters to choose from or a good size monsters to choose from but those are for that i would say is for like veteran players who know what skills to get what is a good combo and stuff and then there's permadeath which is pretty self-explanatory if your monster dies you cannot you can no longer use it so you can combine all of these to make a hardcore nuzlocke essentially because you get randomized eggs you can only get so many because you get one chest per area and it's permadeath or you can take away bravery mode and still get any egg you or get lucky and get any egg you can by battling multiple monsters but beware of permadeath so this does have replayability you get to do new game plus so you can start over with all like all your items essentially intact so you can now be like oh i know how to do this now because i know combos and see if you can beat it faster if you really want to try like speed running this game there's just so much to keep you busy and like i said there are pvp matches in here i didn't really discuss pvp because i'll be honest with you i'm still new to pvp i was trying to learn combos and everything because it's insane 
when you find a team that works. I copied one team just to see how it works, and I was like, oh my god, I am defeating people left and right. There are still features to this game I didn't discuss that I will leave for you, like the legendary keepers. There are still secrets in the map I didn't go over that you can explore. So just because I didn't talk about it doesn't mean that there's not nothing left for you to discover. There is plenty for you guys to discover in this game. And I really hope you do because it is, it's one of my favorite games because I put so much time to it and I, I haven't found a good seed yet to do a randomizer one because I don't, I don't like getting the end game monsters early, but I do kind of want to see them kind of like mid game more so like the alchemists that have, so I can have a bit of a uh, challenge. I tried bravery mode before and uh, I immediately got destroyed. So maybe I'll try my luck with a bravery permadeath mode once again. But I think that'll be it for today. My question of the day for you guys is going to be if you played it, who is your favorite monster? Or if you haven't, and just look up monster journal and look at what monster looks the coolest. I would have to say for me, my I don't know if you could say, I don't know if this is my definite favorite, but it's going to be one of them is Thornfish or Thornish. I think it's Thornish. It's a puffer fish that has just, it looks exactly like a puffer fish with specks all over his body. And I use that, I think from the time I got him, I used it all the way to like end game. He was so good. He played poison stacks every time he got attacked. He was able to essentially have like a taunt that instead of whenever someone would attack a different monster, he would be attacked instead. So it would apply poison to him because he had poison skin. It was amazing. I loved it. The only fact I have for you guys today, because I couldn't find too much, but it's a little known fact, is I have actually a 100% achievement in this game. And like I said, I also have the Living Monster Journal as well. So that will be it for us for this episode. So don't forget to show us some love and support at patreon.com slash weebspawn. And then of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at weebspawn. And you can contact us at weebspawn at gmail.com. I've been your host, Bobby, and hopefully we'll have our co-host next week. But until then, I'll see you guys next week when we weebspawn.